Tonight we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pastor Rob has graciously given me an opportunity once again to finish off 1 Corinthians 15. So if you would turn with me there. How are you guys doing tonight? Are we awake? Are we good? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the title of tonight's message. Who remembered the title of last, last week's? Shout it out. Remember, the best? That's right. All right. Well, tonight the title is, There is Hope. Look to the person next to you and say, There is Hope. There is Hope. We are going to conclude our study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50. We are going to read and then pray and dive into it. Does that sound good, church? Are we awake? Are you there? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Let's read God's word together. Paul the Apostle speaking, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, amen, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Everyone say victory. Woo! Oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory... Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in the vein of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for another opportunity to gather together around your word. And Lord, I pray that you take just another Wednesday night, God, and that you would grace us with your presence, with the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would speak to us here tonight by the power of your word. God, I pray that these words will jump off the pages of our Bibles and just infuse hope into our souls during this crazy time we are living in. We thank you, Lord, that the best is truly yet to come. Help us to believe it, Lord. And the midst, Lord, of our time that is still here on earth, God, I pray, Lord, that this victory cry from 1 Corinthians 15, Lord, be, would be our victory cry. And Lord, that each and every day we would be radiating this hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, your people said, Amen. It was Billy Graham who famously said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Man, that is really true hope. 
The hope that Billy Graham had, the hope after death. And that is the hope that we as God's saints, as his children, have tonight. The hope of heaven brought by the reality of the resurrection. This has been the topic that we've been studying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you remember the the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, they were denying the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul is on a mission. He is on a mission to give them evidence that Jesus has resurrected. And he's giving them the implications or the significance that if Christ was the firstborn of the resurrection, the first fruits, then we too will raise from the dead and we will be able to experience eternity with God. And if you remember last week, we saw that truly because of the resurrection, because the evidence is there, because Christ is risen, due to the implications that happened, for us. The best is truly yet to come. And we will be given a new body at this resurrection. And this new body, if you remember, we will now be able to experience the very presence of God in his fullness without being crushed by the weight of his glory. And so here, Paul is wrapping it all up here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50 and on. He's giving the victory cry that there truly is hope. That our resurrection is guaranteed. And that we can have hope here on earth as we are awaiting heaven and eternity with him. And so tonight we're going to lay out three reasons that there is hope. Three reasons for us to conclude here in 1 Corinthians 15. Number one, there is hope in eternity. We'll see that in verse 50. Number two, there is hope in victory. We will see that from verses 51 to 57. And number three, we will see there is hope for the temporary, for life here on earth in verse 58. And it's important to remember that the biblical definition of hope is a confident expectation of coming good. Remember last week I said that hope, your hope is only as good as what it is attached to. And so our hope is attached to the living hope, Christ Jesus, that he in fact is in heaven as the anchor of our hope. And man, he is truly victorious. So number one, we will see hope in eternity. Let's read verse 50 one more time. Paul the Apostle, he's saying to them, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Now at first glance, this may be kind of weighty. It might be a little bit confusing, like a lot. What is Paul saying here? But here, as he is giving the victory cry that there is hope, he's making it quite simple. He's pointing us back to the simplicity of the gospel. In fact, what he is saying is that eternity is not achieved. Eternity is received. We have hope in eternity because we do not have to achieve. We do not have to work our way up to God. But eternity we have received through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He has worked his way down to us. Paul is pointing us to the simple gospel. The victory cry that eternity we are receiving. You see Paul is saying that by our own flesh. By our own accomplishments. Our own... Just our own resume of God. Look how awesome we are. We, those things don't matter to God. That's not what's going to earn our way into eternity. Flesh and blood will not inherit 
eternity. It will not inherit in corruption. He's saying that it has, we are receiving eternity itself. And so Paul, he's echoing the words of Jesus in John chapter 3. Remember in John chapter 3, Jesus approaches or is approached actually by a very um, accomplished man, a prestigious man, a religious man. His name is Nicodemus. We know his name. And remember the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. He says this in John chapter 3 from verses 6 through 7. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. In other words, flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our flesh, our bone, our sinful nature, our sinful body, the wretched man, it does not inherit in corruption. It does not inherit the kingdom of God. And, but that, that's good news. That's good news because that means we do not have to achieve. For, for, for Nicodemus, he's like, hold on, my whole life, studying and proving myself and working myself up to a place of approval and accomplishment before the eyes of God. Jesus is saying, none of that matters. It's simple. You must be born again. It's the spirit that has been given to us, that has changed us from the inside out. And as we saw last week, it is the spiritual body that is what inherits the kingdom of God. That is what brings us into the access of God. It is the incorruptible body. And so Jesus is, or here Paul is echoing the words of Jesus. We must be born again. I love this quote of Alan Redpath, making it easiest for us to understand. Eternity is not achieved. Eternity is received. Alan Redpath says it this way. He says, you do not inherit in corruption. You put it on. You do not inherit eternal life. You put on the Lord Jesus and in him is eternal life. We're not working our way up to eternal life. We are putting on eternal life. We are putting on Jesus. It reminds me of a parable that Jesus gave. Remember the parable of the wedding feast. Jesus says that, that this, this king is throwing this wedding for his son and he goes and invites many people. Many people give excuses. And so later on in the parable, Jesus says this. He says, That the king says to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you not come in here without a wedding garment? And this guy, he was speechless. We read, the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here in this parable, Jesus, the parable of the wedding garments, he's telling us that we do not have to achieve eternity. We're not worthy of it. We, we, we cannot earn it. Instead, we receive it. And so he has these servants. He goes out. He invites everyone, good and bad. And the only requirement to come into the wedding feast is that they must be wearing what? The wedding garment. 
That wedding garment for the believer, it is the robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness that we, in our own effort, in our own standing, we could not earn God's righteousness. So Jesus came and died in our place. And he has robed us in his righteousness. Just as in the parable of the lost sons, of the prodigal son, the father is there. And the prodigal son, he comes running to the father. And the father greets him with a hug and a kiss. And puts his ring on his finger. His sandals on his feet. His robe on his prodigal son. So too Christ has robed us in his righteousness. Because of the work at the cross. And it is the wedding garment of Christ. Christ's work is how we inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is what brings us into eternity. And so we have the hope in eternity because of the work of Jesus in man church. It is good news that we do not have to achieve eternity. We receive it. We receive eternity because of what Christ has done for us. Are you guys following tonight? This is good news. This is Paul's victory cry that he is giving. And so we don't have to fear death. Fear not. Fear not death then. Because death is simply our graduation ceremony into glory. That's what death is. Think for a second of high school. Man, high school is not usually good memories, right? High school is like, man, who wants to go back to high school? I don't. The awkwardness of high school. The, 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 the corrupted soul of a high school student. My goodness. High school. The comparison. The competition. High school. Man, graduation is like this ceremony where we put on those robes and we enter into a different life. It's like high school's in the past. The new is to come. This is the graduation ceremony. I'm saying goodbye to all of those mistakes and I'm moving forward. Well, you know what? Death, we do not have to fear because it is is our graduation ceremony into glory. Where we say goodbye to the corrupt, corruptible life of the past. And we inherit the incorruptible body. The incorruptible life. Life truly more abundant. Man, truly the best is yet to come. Truly there is hope. And our hope is connected to eternity. Because we have received eternity by the guarantee of the Spirit that has been given to us by Christ. Our hope. There is hope. Hope in eternity. This is how Paul starts off this victory cry. And he goes on then to tell us that there is hope in our victory itself. The victory that Christ has won. Read with me again verses 51 through 57. Paul tells him, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. We're putting it on. And this mortal must put on immortality. We're not earning it. We're putting it on. Verse 54, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, we can have hope today. We can have hope in 2020 because we have received eternity whom he has justified, he has glorified, past tense, 
But man, we have hope because the victory that Christ has brought. The victory, his, his resurrection. Think for a second. At the cross, at the cross, there Jesus paid for the penalty of our sins. And he was buried in the grave. He tackled death head on. But at the resurrection, he defeated death. Death could not hold him in the grave. We just sang it that first song. Death is defeated. Christ is alive. He was victorious over death. And one day too, we will experience that full victory over death. But this is the thing. Many of us will pass through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, there at the resurrection, Christ defeated death full on. But some of us, We'll see in a moment, there will be a generation that will not have to actually face death. But most of us and all the saints in the past, they have had to face the shadow of death. It reminds me of a a time, a story where I was camping one time. It's camping on the Central Coast. And on the Central Coast, they have the Amtrak Surfliner. How many of you guys know what the Amtrak Surfliner is? And this train track, it goes right across, like right on the beach. I'm a surfer. In order to check the surf, you'd have to park on one side of the train track. You would have to cross the other side of the train track to actually like check the surf to see how good the surf is getting. You, you following? You see what's going on? So, What happens is one day I'm just like standing on the train tracks itself. I'm standing on it and I I just begin to hear this like rattling. And the train tracks are made out of, I don't know, some kind of metal. And they get super, super, super hot. And I'm like, what is going on? Because there's this corner like in, in where we're at. And so I can't see what's coming. And all I see, it begins to rattle. I think it's like an earthquake or something. And then I hear the train begin to choo-choo. I mean, it's not like a choo-choo. It's like a loud sound. And I'm like tripping out. It's like right there. And I jump off the tracks and the train passes by me. And the shadow of the train literally goes over me. But man, I wasn't hit by the train itself. And in the same way, that's what Christ has done in terms of death for us. Jesus faced the train head on. He faced death head on. The substance of death. Jesus was buried in the grave. He took the sting of sin, which is death. He faced death head on. So we would only have to face the shadow of death. That is why the psalmist says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the shadow of death, we will not walk through the substance of death, but the shadow of death. It's far better to be hit by the train shadow than the train itself. Amen? So too Christ has faced the substance of death head on, so we would only face the shadow of death. Man, we hear the train tracks rumbling. It can get hot there at the end, so to speak, for a man's life is numbered. We sense death, but man, we only face the shadow of death. Christ faced the substance head on and he rose victoriously over it. Church, this is good news. This is where our hope is placed, that Christ is alive today. 
And here, as Paul is writing to them, and he's giving this, this victory cry, that death is swallowed up, he tells us that the saints who are asleep, there's going to be this event takes place. That those who have faced the shadow of death, those saints who have, are sleeping, which is, in Bible terms, they've, they've died, their bodies have been buried, they're facing the shadow of death, there will be an event that takes place where a trumpet will be blasted, where Christ will return in the air, and he will call up his saints. And this is the moment, the rapture of the church, where us as his saints that have passed through the shadow of death, those who are sleeping, they will be raised up into incorruptible, but there will be a generation that will not even have to pass through the portal of death. They won't even have to pass through the shadow of death. Which proves, which shows what a grip Jesus has over death. Death could not hold them down and Christ is so victorious over death that even a generation itself will not even have to pass through the portal of death. And so here in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, he keys in on the rapture here of the church. And at the rapture of this event where Jesus is returning in the air, those who have been asleep, they will be raised up from the grave. They will experience this change in which they will be, they'll be changed into glory, into that resurrection body that we talked about last week. And those that are here on earth that have received Christ and have that guarantee of his spirit in a moment of a twinkling of an eye, they will be changed. This is good news. This is what we're waiting for. Now this is our hope. The hope that Christ has won. His vic victory. His victorious resurrection over death itself. Now it's important to know for those of you that are Bible students. That here is what many will use this text when they key in there to verse 52 of the last trumpet. Many people who hold to a mid-tribulational rapture believe that this is their proof text. And so what they will say is here, as it references the last, the last trumpet, they believe that the, the tribulation period will begin that the tribulation could start now, that we would have to walk through the tribulation. And then the last trumpet in Revelation chapter 11 is what this text is referring to. And as this last trumpet would be blasted, we would then be changed. And that is where the rapture of the church occurs. This is what those who hold to a mid-trib rapture believe in. But here we see that if closer investigation, that this reference to the last trumpet is not referring to the trumpet of an angel. In Revelation chapter 11, there are, or, or from 8 to 11, there are seven trumpet blasts within the tribulation period. And within these seven trumpet blasts, they are all given by an angel. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the trumpet of God. And it is his last trumpet. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, it will be on the screen. Here Paul is speaking to the church of Thessalonica. And he says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. 
Not the trumpet of an angel, but the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is the last trumpet. Christ is calling us up. Now this is really cool because there's a first trumpet that God gives. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 19. And we actually talked a bit about this reference last week. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses is there. He's encountering God. And the children of Israel, they're off worshiping the golden calf. And Moses is interceding on behalf of them. And then God calls them by the sound of a trumpet, the voice of a trumpet. And he, he calls the people of Israel, his people, to the foot of Mount Sinai. And there at the first trumpet, he gives them the law. And you know what the law does? The law tells us that we are corruptible. The law tells us that we are sinners who we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. The law is a tutor to tell us that we deserve death. This is what the first trumpet does. It calls us to the law. But here the last trumpet in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last trumpet of God is not calling us to the law. It's calling us up to the fullness and to the person and to the presence of God because Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf. He's died for us at the cross and he's risen victoriously from the grave. So the last trumpet of God, the last trumpet is calling us up to him. The rapture of the church here. And this is where those who have died, who have faced the shadow of death, they will raise up into the incorruptible body in a twinkling of an eye. And so too will that generation that may be us. We don't know the day or the hour, the time. As a thief in the night, the Lord is going to come back for the church. It could be us. But man, that shows that that generation that does not have to pass through the portal of death, it testifies of God's victory over death itself. And so for us today, fear not. Fear not death because Christ has been victorious over death. We can hope in his victory. He is risen. And we can also hope in his victory over sin. Notice there that Paul goes on to say that the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. We can have hope here as Paul is giving this victory cry at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. He is reminding us that Christ has been victorious over sin. And we too will experience complete freedom of sin. Here, the Holy Spirit can give us freedom of sin from, from the power of sin. He is able to do so. But here, we'll experience freedom from the presence of sin. Victory over sin. Here, it references sin as the sting. The sting of death is sin. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And it reminds me of an old illustration, an old story. It's really beautiful. Of a father with his daughter. And this daughter is deathly allergic to bees. Anyone allergic to bees in here? Well, this story goes that this daughter is allergic to bees. And they're out on a picnic. And bees, this bee begins to swarm around them as they're enjoying their food. <laughs> 
And the father goes and he sees the bee and he grabs the bee. The bee stings him. And he lets go of the bee. The daughter says, Daddy, Daddy, why did you let go of the bee? Why do you let the bee go? And he opens up his hand and he shows his daughter the stinger that is embedded in his hand. And Christ, Christ is that father for us. What Christ has done is he has taken the sting of death. He has taken sin full on so that we could be free from sin, so that we could experience victory from sin. Jesus took that sting of sin at the cross. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, 27, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, Christ has taken that sin for us. So he has given victory over death. We can hope in him, hope in his victory because he is victorious over death because he has been victorious over sin. Sin. He has taken that sting of death, which is sin for us so that one day we will experience freedom from the presence of sin. And he also has given us victory over the law. Here we can hope in his victory because Christ has victory over the law. There in verse 56, once again, Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The law that condemns us. The law that condemned God's people there at the foot of Mount Sinai that revealed and exposed their sin. Christ came to fulfill the law. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He came And he put on human flesh, but man, he lived that perfect life in our place so that we would have victory over the law so that death could not hold us down. And that's the idea here, that we will be resurrected from the dead because the law no longer can hold us down because Christ has fulfilled the law for us. He has paid the penalty of death. He's rose victoriously and so too will we. But for the unbeliever, the law will still hold them down in death. For the unbeliever that has not trusted in the work of Christ, who has not put on that wedding garment, that robe of righteousness, for the unbeliever, the law will continue to condemn them, to hold them down. But that is the good news for us today. And if you're an unbeliever watching or here with us today, man, you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died in your place so that you too could experience this victorious life. So you could have this hope. So here in closing, Paul is giving this victory cry. We have hope in eternity. Our Eternity is not achieved, it is received. That death we do not have to fear, but death is a graduation ceremony into glory. Our hope is connected to the victory of Christ, that he has faced sin, that he has faced death, and that he has been victorious over sin, the grave, and death. And we too will rise victoriously with him. The Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee 
of this resurrection. And here he ends it with this application in verse 58. That our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in his victory. Therefore we can have hope for the temporary. For life here on earth. We can have hope. Hone in with it with me in verse 58. Underline this verse in the Bible. It's an incredible verse. Paul says because of all of this. Because Christ has achieved eternity for us. He's he's given it to us. He's been victorious over sin and death. He has risen from the grave. Therefore, because of these things, because Jesus is alive today, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here in closing... Paul brings a point of application to us. What does the reality of the resurrection mean? It means that we have hope here in the temporary. We have hope here on earth. And the hope of the resurrection should determine, number one, our position. The hope of the resurrection, this guarantee that Jesus is alive and we too will raise from the dead. It should determine our position. What do I mean by that? Our position here on earth should be steadfast. Our position should be steadfast. We have the hope of glory. Therefore, therefore we can be grounded and firm that these things are true. We do not have to doubt what awaits us after death. We don't have to fear what is to come. We don't have to worry and stress what tomorrow will bring. But man, we can have a hope here in the temporary because of what Christ has done. And we can rest in this position of being steadfast. And that word steadfast, it has the idea of being firm. This is our position We are firm in Christ. We've been placed in Christ. As Paul says in the book of Ephesians, over and over and over and over and over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is our position. We are in Christ. And just as Christ has raised from the dead, we too will be raised victoriously because we are in Christ. This is our position. It is firm. Just as Paul says there in Romans 8, as we saw last week, we referenced tonight. Whom he has justified, he has glorified. Our position is firm in him. Therefore, we have hope. It is steadfast. We don't have to fear death. But we know, man, the best life is yet to come after death. We, like Billy Graham can have that idea that don't believe the news that we have died, but our address has simply changed and we are more alive than we've ever been because our position is firm in him. Our position is firm in him because eternity is not based on what we do. It is based on what he has done for us. And his work at the cross, his work in the resurrection, it's complete. The transaction has been made. The receipt has been given. The spirit is the guarantee. 
We can be steadfast. We are firm in our position in him. But also we have hope for the temporary in our perspective. As Paul is applying this to our daily life here on earth before we enter into glory, we can have hope in our perspective that we will be immovable, that our perspective would be immovable, that we would keep our eyes, that we were, would set our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And that is the idea here. The reality of the resurrection, that we keep our eyes set on him. That we are simply citizens of heaven. We're pilgrims of this earth. We're just passing through. And we can set our perspective on him. And therefore, when we do this, when we set our perspective on him, here on earth, we'll be immovable. We won't be shaken. We won't be shaken about the world events that are going on. We won't be shaken over what 2020 is going to bring if our perspective is set on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Immovable. Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 says, If you indeed continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Our perspective is to be stable and steadfast on the hope of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, of what he's done for us. As we keep this as the perspective, as we pass through this life, we will be immovable. We won't be shaken. It was this perspective that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had in the fire. Whatever the world threw at them, they knew they were immovable in their faith. They knew that their God, they would have to stand before their God. And so they did not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and they had to face the fire. But what happened? Man, everyone in Nebuchadnezzar's palace freaked out because they saw there's another man in the fire with them. And so too, as 2020, as 2021 puts us in the fire. We can be immovable. We don't have to be shaken because Christ is with us. As we keep our perspective on him, he is with us. His spirit has given to us. So we keep this perspective. We will be immovable. And number three, in closing, we can have hope for the temporary. Because of the reality of the resurrection, because of Christ has given us eternity because of the work of the cross, because he has been victorious, we can have hope here on earth because we've been given a purpose. A purpose. He says there in closing, in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So he's applying it to us. That man, as we wait for these glorified bodies, as we wait for the best is yet to come, we'll be freed from the presence of sin. Man, death will not be able to hold us down at all, not even the shadow of death. Man, as we are raised to life victoriously, he says, as we're waiting for these things, there's work to do. Christ has given us a purpose. And that purpose is a labor of love. 
That's how he references it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, remember without ceasing your work of faith. He's remembering their work of faith. Their labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and our Father. Our work here on earth, always abounding in the work of the Lord, it is a labor of love. That is our purpose here as we're waiting for this resurrection from the dead, as we're waiting for this glorified bodies, as we're waiting for eternity. God has purpose for us here. And he... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has purpose for us here on earth to love him and to love others. This is what we are called to as we're awaiting this glory. And in closing tonight, invite the worship band to come back up. We'll close in another quote by Billy Graham. Billy Graham said this. He said, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. And so too for us, our job is to love. This is the work. That we should be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because according to Romans chapter 2 verse 4. It is God's goodness, his kindness, his love that leads others to repentance. So as we are loving God and we are loving others. Man, God will use that to bring others into this place to where they will have this hope. They will have this hope in eternity. They will have this hope in God's victory. And they too will then have purpose here on earth. Hope for the temporary. This is the hope that Jesus has given us. Church, there is hope. Is this good news? Amen? This is the good news. Jesus is alive and he's not finished with you yet. Church, keep your eyes, your perspective on him. And as we do, we will be immovable and remember you have purpose here. There is hope here on earth that God will desire to use us and to work through us to bring others into the kingdom of God to have this hope. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for this hope. We thank you, God, for your victory. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. We thank you, God, that you have faced death head on so that we do not have to fear death. But God, we can confidently expect the coming good. Lord, of life with you in eternity. But Lord, in the meantime, I pray that we keep our eyes set on you. That Lord, we would be a church that is immovable and God, we would be a church that is steadfast. Lord, in that work, that labor of love, loving, loving others, God, and that you would use us, Lord, to draw others to you. That God, we would see revival here through the church of Calvary Vista, through the community of Vista, California. God, we pray that more and more people would experience this hope that is found in you as we go and in 2020 and enter into 2021. Jesus, use us, Lord. Help us, God, to keep our eyes in you. In Jesus' name, your church said, amen.